And I think that's one of the things that I love about science fiction, poetry, or sci-fi coup. It's this idea that you could have different readings and you could read it in a fantastical sense or you could read it in a very real sense because the best sci-fi coup hits you personally. Hello, my name is Patricia and I'd like to welcome you to episode 7 of the fifth series of the High Coopy podcast. Today, I'm very pleased to be welcoming Deborah Picologi to the podcast for what's becoming her annual workshop presentation. This time, it's Sci-Fi Coup. By the way, did you know that these workshops are also available on Poetry P's YouTube channel, usually a couple of days after the podcast is published? There's a wealth of information on there now, and it's all free. Do subscribe and spread the word for me, please. The previous workshop on Kerouac was by Stanford M. Forrester, of Bottle Rockets fame, and it's going down a storm. You should really listen to his podcast, or watch the workshop, because of course it's right like Jack time. Submissions are being read for this topic now, but please, send at least four haiku, and send them to the right address. Details are on the submissions page, on the website. If the poems go to the wrong address they quite possibly won't be read in time to be included. Thank you. Thank you too for all your Highburn submissions. Shane, our Highburn editor, and I will be reading them this month, and you'll get an email by the end of the month. If you haven't heard by the 1st of May, email me. Now, before we hear from Deborah, let me tell you a little bit about her. Deborah was president of the Science Fiction and Fantasy Poetry Association for five years, stepping down from that post in 2011. She served as moderator for the Southern California Haiku Study Group at the USC Pacific Asia Museum in Pasadena and the California Regional Coordinator for the Haiku Society of America. Since 2016, Debbie has been a board member of Haiku North America a biennial conference devoted to haiku poetry. It's on next year, I think, and I really want to be there. So you can tell, Deborah is haiku royalty. Let's hear from her, shall we? Hello, Debbie. It's so nice you could join me again for what is becoming your annual workshop for Poetry P. Now, I was reading a lovely article, I hope you found it was a lovely article, actually, by another of our poetry friends, Cathabella Wilson, and I came across this wonderful little snippet, which really shows what an influence a great teacher can have on our lives. And this is what you told Cathabella. Dr. Francis St. Lawrence was one of my teachers at Hamilton Junior High in Long Beach, presumably California. Although he taught maths and science, on Fridays he would stop a class a few minutes early and read a poem to us. He would read us poems he loved like Annabelle Lee by Edgar Allan Poe, Jabberwocky by Lewis Carroll and The High Woman by Alfred Noyes. And I found his love of poetry contagious. And I thought to myself, we should all be very grateful to your maths teacher. (laughs) We have you today as a poet. Today we're going to have a workshop by you on sci-fi coup. And I have to be honest with you, Debbie, I've got very little idea about it. I'm 
not even confident I spell it right, but <laughs> I'm, I'm coming with a bit of trep trepidation. I don't know if you could feel the fear. I think we'll be okay because Star Wars is one of my um, favorite films of all time. Star Trek, I love as a TV program. So I think I'll be a receptive audience, Debbie. But before we start off, why don't you tell us how you got interested in sci-fi coup? Well, I've always liked science fiction. Like I was a big Star Trek fan. I like Star <laughs> Wars. Um, I have a son named Kirk. Um, you know, it's just, I, I really always um, loved imagining the universe and I loved reading about science. I studied science. I ended up with a degree in mathematics, but I always loved science. And so my early poetry was often about the stars or when the Voyager landed in Mars when I was a teenager. Um, and so I was writing a lot of speculative work. Um, and when I discovered haiku, of course, it seemed natural to write science fiction haiku or sci-fi coup, as it's called. Some people call it speculative haiku. So it also encompasses fantasy and horror. And I just like to think of it as sort of a what if scenario kind of haiku. And I, I find that sometimes you can say more with a sci-fi coup and make it more real. You know, when I did my presentation on exaggerated perspectives, I talked about a poem by Kendall Evans, which is a sci-fi coup, which is what if a dog could run free on the moon? And you know, I'm imagining Kindle's dog in Norwalk, California, in the house. You know, you have to stay in the yard. You can't go free in a city when you're a dog. Um, and but if you said, what if a dog could run free in the forest? Well, that just gives this whole sense of the possibility of this poor dog, you know, confined. If you say, what if you could run free on the moon? you see the vastness of this empty planet that the dog can run all over. Not that there's much for the dog to sift or anything, but it gives, it can face that sense of truth, the real truth. And that's what I really love about sci-fi coup. Um, Debbie, that reminds me, you're going to be one of the judges for the submissions when they come in. Right. Do you really want people to stick to uh, sci-fi coup or do you want to, widen it to speculative so it takes in the fantasy and the horror as well I, I i a lot of times it's sort of like in a bookstore the science fiction section in a bookstore often has horror and fantasy in it um so i really would like to see science fiction fantasy horror and science like okay. like step you know just astronomy you know and or exploration of our nasa missions i mean or camelot or whatever you know i think that sci-fi coup is used as an umbrella for all of those forms um, sometimes i will refer to it alternatively a speculative haiku and then of course speculative haiku is kind of hard as a name because sometimes sci-fi coup by nature is more senru I will sometimes call it sci-fi coup, sometimes I call it speculative haiku, but I'm including fantasy and horror and 
um, STEM subjects in that, you know, science, engineer, you know, technology, engineering, mathematics. Shall we hit, hit that button and uh, off we go? I hope people enjoy it. I've had the good fortune to be able to have a look at the slides beforehand, so I'm pretty sure they will. Okay, thank you. An exploration of sci-fi coup. What is sci-fi coup? As we were discussing earlier, um, sci-fi coup is also known as speculative haiku, and it's a form of speculative poetry. And Speculative poetry has several themes, um, science fiction, fantasy, horror, and STEM, science, technology, engineering, mathematics. And it also is poetry, in my mind, the way I like to describe it, is poetry that explores what-if scenarios. And here are a few examples of science fiction, Martian greenhouse, the Buzz of the Robot Bees by Carolyn M. Hinderleiter. Or Fantasy, Bloody Spindle, Putting Another Princess Under Again by Christina Singh. Or Horror, and a Faithful Husband, a Toast to the Flesh-Eating Virus in His Drink by Kevin Doran. And as a STEM example, Firefly Flashes, The World Beyond Boolean Logic by Jay Friedenberg. So if we want to think about what if scenarios, what if you visited Camelot? What would you see? Moving line of ants, the sword in the stone remains still. What if you had a time machine, time travel dating, a rejected lover never leaves by Leroy Garman? What if an asteroid hit the earth? First snowfall after the asteroid, no footprints by Anne K. Schwader. What if we sent criminals to the moon? Lunar prison after lights out, a transports contrail by Joshua Gage. A haiku should present the truth as if it were fiction. This is a quote I used in my exaggerated perspectives talk last year. It was by, from Yatsuka Ishihari at a conference in Chicago in 1995. And the idea is that the truth, that fiction could sometimes tell the truth more so than the actual occasion. And here are just a few examples. Time travel dining, a good meal is worth repeating. And you know, I decided to think about Thanksgiving dinner, but it could be a restaurant, a, a meal that you like so much that you're going to travel back in time to read it again. So, you know, there's a truth in that that goes beyond the fantastical nature of time travel dining. Used spaceship lot. Dealer rolls back an odometer 800 million miles by John J. Dumphy. 
you know, a lot of is said about used car salesmen and, and changing odometers, but by placing it on a used spaceship lot, it drives the point home so much more. In-laws at the door, those panicked moments before I shapeshift by Julie Lost Kelsey. And here, you know, if you would have written, if Julie would have said, in-laws at the door, those panic moments before I get dressed, or those panic moments before I put on my makeup, or those, you know, but this idea of shape-shifting, there's a real, a reality and a truth there that comes across with more emphasis than if you would have used another way of getting ready for those in-laws. Absolute zero. You couldn't have been any colder. Susan Birch. Absolute zero is, of course, the utter coldest it could possibly be in a thermodynamic dynamic state, the lowest point of energy. And in fact, it might even be impossible to truly reach absolute zero. But the bottom line is that um, and a person could never reach absolute zero because your your cells would freeze and become ice crystals. But uh, there's something about, you know, if, if Susan would have said 32 degrees, you couldn't have been any colder or zero degrees or negative 25 degrees, you know, you couldn't have been any colder. Um, and of course, I'm thinking Fahrenheit for, for those that are in, in other parts of the world. But yet by using absolute zero, you really have a sense that this guy is really cold. This person is really, really cold. And so the truth of it comes out more so than if you had written just a normal haiku. Science fiction writing at its best examines a current problem through the lens of an imagined society. Science fiction haiku can crystallize the essence of a real moment through an imagined landscape or situation. Weightless, I struggle with my tie by Tom Brink. A lot could be written about struggling with a tie and getting it tied right, right? But by doing this in zero G, it just makes it more amplified. Here's one of mine. The tug of a black hole, this isolation. You could read this in a couple different ways. You could look at it and say, oh, this is a pandemic poem written in the pandemic, you know, with the isolation and the tug of a black hole is sort of a metaphor for that sense of isolation. Or you could read it as a, a poem about illness, a poem about a family separation, a poem about divorce, um, anything that would make you feel isolated. Or you could actually read it literally as a science fiction story of being in a spaceship, going in the isolation you would feel as that spaceship is tugged into the black hole. And I think that's one of the things that I love about science fiction, poetry or sci-fi coup 
It's this idea that you could have different readings and you could read it in a fantastical sense or you could read it in a very real sense because the best sci-fi coup hits you personally. Green Moonlight, The Engineer Weeps Over a Letter from Home by Joshua Gage. And again, this one is very close to being real, but the only thing that's a little odd is you have green moonlight. So now you know you're in a strange place, a strange planet. And, but yet that also makes you feel that you're farther away from home. And so I think it intensifies the emotion of receiving that letter from home that if it had simply been, you know, uh, you know, someplace on the other part of the world, Planet Voltec, Every Snowflake the Same by Michael Dillon Welsh. And here, you know, a, there's a lot that's been written about snowflakes falling and, and usually they're all different, but yet on this other planet, they're all the same. And there's something about that that it just allows you to examine snowflakes more closely, I think. I also want to discuss the pitfalls, the potential pitfalls when writing sci-fi. And there's a couple. First, sci-fi who needs a sense of focus or the reader could get lost. Now, this is true for any kind of haiku, really. But for science fiction haiku or fantasy haiku, you could get really lost. Folding upon himself, lost in time travel, dilemmas. So, you know, here you've got this idea of maybe the, the novel, the man who folded himself, um, and this idea of going in time and getting all mixed up with your timeline. But it doesn't really say anything, and it's confusing. You know, there's nothing there. So instead of that, if you focus in on a specific thing that might get screwed up by time travel, like time travel blip the day his grandparents didn't meet. So here, you're not going to even exist anymore if your grandparents don't meet, which you cause this dilemma by going back in time and somehow interrupting their meeting somehow. Um, and so by focusing in on this specific incident, it's far more clear than just, you know, time travel dilemmas, because what is a time travel dilemma? So that's the first thing. And there's a lot of concepts. If you're going on a scientific concept, you could get really bogged down in the big picture and instead of focusing in on what is relevant to the poem. Another pitfall is to set the poem in a place so alien that the reader can't relate. Urgy Badal, our date for binary fission under double moon shadows. So first of all, we don't know what Urgy Badal is. Um, is it a planet? Is it a plant? You know, the only thing that might you know, you might say, okay, energy petal, maybe it's close, so maybe it's a flower. But then you've got a situation where you have 
people who reproduce by binary fission, place where there's two moons. And it's so alien, there's just no way to relate to this, really. If you wrote something like first blooms, assuming that ergy betel is a flower, but um, first blooms being pregnant under the twin moons, here's something you can relate to. It's still in a, a strange planet because there's double moons, but we understand first blooms. We don't need to know what kind of strange plant they have on this planet other than it's blooming. And we understand what being pregnant is. So first blooms being pregnant under the twin moons gives us a place to relate to this poem on a planet with two moons. Another idea might be if you want to focus it on the binary fission, fusion, um, you could say twin moons, my appointment for binary fission. So here we have a sense of the moons, but time passing and appointments and a doctor's appointment or something. So again, you have a way to enter into this strange world. And finally, relevance. Um, it's very important when you're writing a sci-fi coup because you might read a haiku about a creature or an unknown planet, but what does that mean to us? New planet, the 25 spots of the Zaza, Azaz. Okay, so I don't know what a Zazazaz is, but it's some sort of animal, I assume. Um, and we're on a new planet. But what do I get from this haiku? I don't get anything from it, you know? And I'm really not awestruck and wonder because it's such a short little thing. You're not really getting a description of this planet. But yet you could change this slightly. You could say, new planet, the 25 eyes of the Zazazazaz. And in that sense, you've got a new planet a strange place, and you've got 25 eyes watching you. And there's something very creepy about that, but so suddenly you are in this strange planet um, and whatever this creature is, this Zaza says, it doesn't matter what it is. All you know is something kind of strange and you're kind of scared. And so it does give you a place to react. Um, another uh, even better, poem about a alien on a extraterrestrial is this one by John Dumphy. The alien's language lacking a word for war. And see in this one, it's, it's a poem that's relevant to us on so many different ways. Um, we're in an alien planet place possibly, or the alien could be visiting our planet. It doesn't matter really. But this alien doesn't understand war because their society doesn't even have a word for war. And that's a statement on our society, which makes it much more personal. And finally, I just wanted to add a couple more sci-fi coup for the road as you start your own speculative haiku journey of writing them. Beaming, my poems translated into Klingon by Haiku Elvis or Carlos Colon. Jedi mind trick, 
the bus driver doesn't ask for my transfer slip by Tanya McDonald. And I, I wanted to mention that these two, of course, take place in an established universe that we're all familiar with. We've all watched Star Trek. We've all watched Star Wars. So having an element from that universe in the poem gives us something to anchor to. If you create the entire universe by yourself, it's hard to condense that into a haiku. You need to focus on just one element of the strange universe that you're creating. Um, so there's two ways to get around that to alien to relate to problem is by either using an established universe that people know or by having something in that haiku that's familiar. Paranoid vampire, every odd shape is a crucifix by Francis W. Alexander. Abandoned nursing home, the Mahjong tiles still move by Greg Schwartz. I wanted to have a couple of examples of horror haiku. Time machine rust, even our past, you know how to avoid me by Megan Arkenberg. Neutrinos, she sees right through me by Jay Friedenberg. So I'd like to invite you to go on a geeko through your imagination and imagine yourself in a different place, Camelot, Mars, and what do you see? What do you hear? What do you taste? I can't wait to read what you'll write. Thank you. Debbie, thank you. Thank you very much. I'm a lot less worried now having, having listened to you about than I was when we started this one today. Um, there are some real nuggets there. There was one thing that I really appreciate. Well, there was a lot of things I appreciated, but the one thing that as an editor, I really pre appreciated you he hearing you say was that sci-fi coup needs a sense of focus or the reader may get lost. And I think sometimes as poets, we get lost in, the, in our thoughts and our, and our work and we get carried away and it, the work then, then lacks focus. Because you're coming back as a judge and at least one of the poets mentioned in your presentation is going to be judging with you. I, I just wanted to highlight a couple of things or a few things so that when people are writing them, they write knowing that you're going to be reading and hopefully you'll be able to see that they've listened to what you've been saying in the presentation. So yes, the work needs a sense of purpose. Work should be relatable. And I think you had some great examples there. Uh, Julie Bloss Kelsey's poem about the in-laws coming and shape-shifting. Shape <laughs> How true and relatable was that? It really was fantastic. And you also said your work should be relevant. And you quoted a poem by uh, John, John J. Dunphy, was it? Yeah, John uh, J. Dunphy, yeah. Yeah, about the alien not having a word for war. And that comes very much certainly into my mind uh, in these days how relevant that poem is today, really. And just to remind people, if you're in doubt when you're writing the poetry for, for this submission, nip over to our YouTube channel because Debbie's presentation will be on 
the YouTube channel, and of course, the podcast you can listen to as well. Presentation will be in the show notes, so you can go ahead and read it in your own time and assimilate it. So Debbie, thank you so much for coming on the podcast again today. I can't wait for, to see you again for the judging and hear what you have to say about the, the pieces that have been submitted. And let's hope next year we get another Debbie P presentation. Can't wait to see what you're thinking of doing for us next year. Thanks, Debbie. Thank you so much for having me. I love talking about sci-fi coup. <laughs> it was it was great. And I, I've learned such a lot. And like I said, I really, really not as frightened as I was at the beginning. <laughs> so thank you. That was great, wasn't it? Thanks, Debbie. After I recorded it, I went off and I wrote so many coups. Now I have to edit them and will probably find that the number of brilliant coups I thought I had written will be reduced considerably. C'est la vie. Debbie will be back alongside some pretty discerning judges to decide on the judges' choice and honourable mentions for the sci-fi coup topic. Don't forget, sci-fi, fantasy, horror and science haiku and senryu will be accepted. I'm looking forward to reading them. But this month, your priority is writing like Jack Kerouac. And your deadline is the 15th of April. I've written mine, but I'm not so sure about the final line yet. Thank you for all the coffees you buy the podcast. It's so useful. And now that there are two podcasts running, life has got a little bit more expensive. So I'm grateful for any help you can give. And if you haven't listened to our new podcast, Poetry P Readings, do go along to the website and give it a try. It's getting rave reviews mostly because Kristen Lindquist is a star. Do write and let me know what you thought of today's podcast or Poetry P Readings, and I'll pass your comments back to Debbie and Kristen. I've loved having your company today. Do come back again in a couple of weeks and hear a plethora of wonderfully punctuated poems. Till then, keep writing. Do let me know if there's something missing from the show notes and I'll put it right. Ciao.